Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Money Talks. My name is Hugh Meyer. Glad you could be here with us today. Really excited for my, my guest today. Just want to remind everybody, Money Talks was started to connect small business owners with elite entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and business experts, and talk about how they are managing through these disruptive times. And today, I have my friend and colleague on with me, Dan Gold of TLD Law. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm fantastic, Hugh. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Excited to uh, get into it with you. Uh, we have a very uh, specific agenda today. We're going to talk about gray divorce. But first, before we get into that, can you tell everyone a little bit about your background, please? Well, Hugh, thank you very much for the opportunity to share uh, some insight here. And hopefully, uh, uh, people will get some uh, um, value from this. Um, uh, well, I mean, my background is I... Uh, Graduated from UCLA, uh, uh, undergraduate, with a bachelor's degree in political science. I then went to law school, McGeorge School of Law, uh, and uh, have been uh, with TLD Law for going on 26 years next month. I'm a certified family law specialist um, and have been that designation since 2005. So, uh, and I, I'm also AV rated. Uh, I love what I do. Um, I, I love I love uh, helping people, and uh, I'm hopeful we can uh, share some additional uh, thoughts th uh, today about what's going on. But uh, I primarily litigate matters. Um, I settle most of my matters, even though I litigate, uh, do settle, do wind up in some sort of uh, collaborative remediation capacity. But uh, I do trial work, uh, and I, do, uh, I also uh, uh, address the issues involving prenups. For people who have prenups, I've drafted prenups, and I've uh, litigated matters involving cleanups, um, including one right now. So those are those are important things for you, for people to know about um, as they look forward to either they're planning to get married or in in in, in a long term marriage. Thank you for that. And 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 we you and I were just talking off camera. We could kind of spend a minute or two because I'm sure people want to know. You know. Can I, you know, proceed with matters right now? Obviously, COVID came, you know, everything shifted and changed dramatically in all businesses, and obviously, family law being one of them. What I guess you could maybe you could get us up to date as far as what's happening right now. Well, if we go back in time <laughs> to uh, <laughs> March, March eleventh was was a huge, huge day. If people go back to March eleventh. Um, Tom Hanks was diagnosed with COVID and his wife, and the NBA shut down. That happened. And that seemed, you know, from my observation, that was, to me, that was a, a, a benchmark in this, this particular pandemic right. and, and the consequences of it, okay? Um, a few days later, I wound up in a courtroom. Uh, my last court appearance, I believe, was March 16th. Okay. Uh, the day before, I believe it was the day before St. Patrick's Day. I, I, it's hard to remember, but that's what I remember. Uh, and from there, things changed. Um, you know, court. each court had, as we've seen from what's happened, the courts have followed the, the you know, the Federalist uh, dogma in the sense that everything's decentralized. Each county right. did things differently, and, and, and each county had different rules of what they, how they were going to do. Courts have reopened. And as we were discussing off camera, I can't tell you exactly how it's going to go unless I know up front which county you're in. Okay? okay, we have courts 
We have uh, four main counties that I deal with right now, primarily Orange County, LA County, and I have a few, a few matters in Riverside and San Bernardino County. Okay. Each county has a different way of handling family law matters right now. Uh, we have a virtual and some telephone, uh, others, um, some are live. Um, all the courts are triaging matters. And when I say triage, it's like an emergency room in the sense that okay. matters that are, are, are emergencies that are imminent, uh, domestic violence would be the most visceral example of that, are given priority. Uh, matters involving children, they're given priority um, in terms of whether the courts are going to have hearings on them, whether they're going to be live or not. Uh, so you've got a lot of different things to deal with. So the answer to the question is there, you know, in terms of what's happening now, really varies on the kind of matter you have, what issues are involved, and which county you're in. But I don't want anyone to come away from this thinking that nothing's going to happen if they want to move forward with something. If they feel it's the time is right, they need to do something, then they should take those steps to do it. Right. Because the one thing I can tell you, no matter which county you're in, is you may have to wait some time before your matter is resolved, even if it's purely a question of getting something temporary, purely the question of ensuring that something is done between now and the time, the time you file and the time you finish your matter at trial. Great. Thank you for that. That's a great update on, on what's happening. It's important. Um, you know, and I've discussed with, with all my guests and no matter where they are in the, in the business world, if you will, kind of giving people an update as to, you know, we're here, you know, we're here as a resource. That's why I started this podcast to be a resource, connected people like yourself who are really helpful to me and and clients and it's important that they know what's happening right now because um there's been so much information flow um as far as you know what you can and can't do right now no matter where you are so thank you for that you're welcome so let's uh let's get going um you and i kind of talked about what would be you know a, a helpful i guess topic if you will um, in, in the family law universe. And, and we started talking about gray divorce, um, which is a, a, kind of a new topic um, in, over the last few years. I'll let you kind of get into that. Maybe tell us a little about what is your definition of, of gray divorce? My definition, uh, it, let me just as a way of background, it, this has been a topic of interest in, in various um, magazines uh, if you Google search, you're going to find multiple right. magazines. The UK and uh, Great Britain have an interesting term for it. They have, they've seen a similar phenomenon. They call it senior splitters. Uh, uh, what, it, what it basically defines, and we look at the term gray as being gray hair, I typically see it as there's couples with the ages over 40, uh, chronological ages over 40, uh, which in some time were marriages of 10, 15 years or more. Um, I think there's always kind of been this assumption over time growing up and, you know, living life that, you know, after a certain number of years, well, if you're, if you've been going for 20 years, you must be good. Uh, if you've been going for 20 years, everything must be fine. Um, and what we're seeing is that that isn't necessarily the case. Um, people are more transparent now how, about how they're feeling in a marriage. I think, I think, you know, when I was younger, 
which doesn't seem that long ago. Um, you know, I came of age in a time when uh, divorce was kind of had a stigma. Okay, uh, if if someone was divorced, oh, you know, it was it was a major like a you know you felt so so you felt so bad for the kids in your class who were divorced because you said, oh my gosh, they don't have a dad or or their family, you know, they had, there was something missing. There was some sort of stigma to it. Um, I would say people my kids' age, half the kids in the classroom are from uh, split households. You know, we call Brady Bunch households, that kind of thing. So, so, so the stigma of divorce that people who are now in their 40s, 50s, 60s may have grown up with isn't there. So as you have a, a generation of what we call baby boomers and, and, and the, the, the aging population over the last few years, you have people sort of entering into um, sort of that the third act, if you will. Uh, when the marriage vows were written, I mean, this is, and this is, you know, kind of the, when people research when vows were written, uh, uh, or the, when they came, of, came about, uh, people generally got married in their late, mid to late teens. I and mean, we don't think of that these days. I mean, in this right. day and age, we have, we have ages of consent. Um, and their, their life expectancy was sometime in their 30s. Okay? Right. Now, I would say most marriages take place sometime between 20 and, you know, 22 to 35. Let's put that right. But people are living into their 70s and 80s. So you have a much longer um, time in which a marriage may, t- may take place. And people, and as we've seen from society and our cultural changes, things may evolve. People age differently, okay? And that results in, in different emotional needs that people have and, 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 and communication issues and things of that nature. And, and you see people who may have had, you know, instant passion in their 20s and had a lot of connection, suddenly in their 40s, 50s, say, I don't have that anymore. What do I do? What do I do to reconnect it? Um, to me, that, that there's a, the answer isn't necessarily coming to see me. It's going to go see a therapist, a, a good marriage family therapist, before things get too bad. But I would say most people don't do that, Hugh. Right. Uh, most people don't take proactive steps in looking at a marriage, okay? It, they wait until sometimes it's too late. And by the time you get into marriage therapy, an attempt to repair that marriage, things are so built up, it's so bitter and so angry and so volatile that what could have been handled in a peaceful communication now becomes a, a uh, you know, sort of bearing wounds and, and cutting, you know, like death by a thousand cuts kind of scenario. So that results usually come, that doesn't necessarily repair the marriage, it makes it that much worse because now things that have been built up for, you know, five or 10 years are now coming out in an you know, a, a series of three or four hour sessions over a two month period, which is just awful for people to experience. Right. So they come out of that thinking, I don't know what to do. This isn't going to work. And in my experience, typically people who come into my office, men or women, by the time they get past my door, have pretty much been through this scenario. Either they've participated in therapy or it's just worthless to go to therapy because the other person isn't participating. So they come in and they've got a lot of things to think about, not just, not just what's happening now, but what's going to happen in the future. Because you get to your 40s and 50s and you've built up assets, you've built right. up, you know, you put kids through college, you may still have kids in school, they were getting ready for college. You've got to think about all this stuff. And that, and that doesn't take into account 
you know, things you deal with and what you do, investments, uh, pre-tax investments, after-tax investments, real estate. You know, people have a portfolio of things, rental properties, businesses. I mean, right. that's the other part of it, too, is that a lot of times you see people, it's not uncommon for people who are looking to exit a business or looking at exiting a business that they own and also coming to terms with personal issues in their life. Um, they've been successful in business. They're looking at that part of it. Meanwhile, they've neglected their home life. So right. these are all the kind of, you know, it's a lot to kind of gather in a course of a five-minute explanation. But these are the, the life. It, it's an intersection between life issues and legal issues. And much of what I do isn't based upon what's in my law books, okay? It's based upon the ability to understand what's going through that person's life about their future and what kind of tunnel they're going to soon be facing once they go through this process because there's the court process and there's the process of disconnecting from someone that no matter how bitter your situation is you still have feelings for you know i've, I've said for years even before i started doing what i do the opposite of love is not hate hate is still an emotion right that suggests love unreturned it suggests you still give a damn okay about that person and their connection to your life. Apathy, to me, is the exact opposite of love. Apathy means you just don't care. It's right. irrelevant right. to your. It's irrelevant to your future. So when someone reaches that point, the relationship has to change in some fashion. Okay, um, much of what I do is trying to get people to understand that the emotion and the legal business aspect have to be separated in some degree. Okay, yeah. they intersect at certain points. No question about it. And you're going to always going to intersect in what you do and what I do. Once my, my, my involvement is really about looking at it from a business transaction. Um, with, with older, with the gray divorce scenario, you're not going to have as many kid issues. Okay. But that's, you got to be careful with that because they may still have adult children who may very much be impacted by what's happening between their parents the husband and wife, the, the mother and father of these kids. So it's, it's critical to uh, understand that part of it as well. There's still a connection these people have to have in some degree over time. It just changes. It has to change in some fashion. And what I'm, from a legal standpoint, I, I'm just trying to get them, you know, to focus on thinking about things like long-term care, um, insurance, health insurance, those are the issues that have to be thought of, um, you know, investments, how their, how the retirement is going to be uh, dealt with. If there's two income households, which we see more of now, right. You know, that's important, but you want, but a lot of times the, the gray divorce still involves traditional relationships. Someone's been at home raising the kids and another person has been out being the high earner, either as a highly compensated executive or as the owner of a business uh, or a professional. Those are the kind of situations that I find, to be the most gratifying um, from my standpoint because I can do the most work for them. I can do, help them the most. You know, they're not the kind of people who should be doing this on legal Zoom or right. some platform. They need legal advice. Doesn't mean you're seeing a judge, doesn't mean you're battling it out, but it means you need someone in your corner who's going to advocate for you and coming to the best resolution possible. That to me is what my role is in this process. Thank you. That was, that was great. I mean, uh, clearly you're very proactive with your clients, which I think is, is hugely important no matter kind of, you know, what business you're in. 
uh, especially when you're dealing with clients, but, but you detailed a lot of key issues there. And most of all, you know, like you said, being proactive and trying to be an advocate um, and doing everything you can to, you know, make the pro it's not an easy process, but doing things that can make it in, uh, a little less stressful if that's possible. And you clearly appointed, pointed, you know, some of those issues out. You actually were already getting into my next question as far as, you know, and maybe you can unpack a couple of these issues that are, are unique to, you know, to gray divorce. Okay. Well, I think the, the main thing with gray divorce is, you know, what, what ages are your clients at and what kind of assets do they have? And, and I mean, I, I actually, uh, I'll give you a case study example. Great. The oldest couple I have dealt with on a gray divorce situation, whereas there was a couple in their 80s. And, you know, I, I don't say that, you know, as, as a, as a, uh, a prelude to sitcom. It, it was a serious situation. Wow, okay. it, it was unique in the sense that they had been married for 40 years. It was a second marriage for both of them, and there were significant assets. What had happened, and this is a, a, a scenario that does happen, is that the children from their prior marriages were not seeing eye to eye on the management of these joint assets that the couple had. Um, what had happened was the uh, the uh, child of one of the couples was managing the couple's assets and the children of the other spouse from the prior marriage of the other spouse didn't trust them. And there also was, some, but it wasn't just that it was issues at home too. This is, I, I remarked earlier in my discussion with you about couples aging differently. Right. And, you see situations happen. Alzheimer's and dementia are uh, uh, precursors in some cases to domestic violence because you have someone who's frustrated. They don't remember things. They don't even know the person they're with and they get scared and they lash out. Um, those things happen. And those, those, those issues also create tension in the household. So you had that combined in, in this case study. You had that issue and the lack of trust the spouse, one of the spouses and their kids got together and said, look, we just need to split everything. Okay. It's not about, you know, we they had two homes. So one could take one home, one could take the other. It was an amicable situation in that sense. But that gives you an example of a kind of scenario that has to be addressed properly because you've got estate planning issues. You know, they had a significant trust assets. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that? If you have a couple who's in their eighties, well, if someone dies in the middle of the divorce and you haven't been divorced yet, the divorce is over. As far as your estate planning goes, it doesn't look at things any differently as if, than if you were an intact couple, right. a happy couple. So there has to be an understanding when you start a situation with a great divorced couple, you know, what is their health situation? What is their age? At some juncture, you're going to make a decision on what you're going to do. Number one, and I, I have another case involving... Um, an older couple, not quite the 80s. My client's in great shape. He's in his 70s. He's uh, looks younger. Um, but, you know, I want concerned about his estate planning. So, you know, my first thought is, how, don't we need to revoke your trust? Don't we need to get you your own estate plan, get your wife her own estate plan so that your children from your prior marriages are taken care of for your share of the assets? Right. You know, you've got to deal with that. You got to think about that. 
because things happen. You know, people get sick, people die in the middle of these cases, and you got to take a stand. Now, one of the things that comes up too is if something is, if a divorce is prolonged for a period of time to resolve issues, you have to look at, you know, do you need to what we call bifurcate or terminate marital status before your other issues are resolved? That's another point that needs to happen. The lawyer needs to be on top of that too, because again, if someone dies before the divorce is final or, or before marital status is terminated, then the case proceeds to probate court because right. there's no longer a need to divorce. The marriage is now over because of death. So now the estate planning aspects, probate, trust, all that stuff is what's now enacted as a result of the death. That has to be addressed. And then you've got a battle in probate court. Better to terminate status in your family law case, reserve jurisdiction to the family law court to enable the estates of, of the, the dead spouse and the still living estranged spouse right. to resolve the split of those assets so that the uh, deceased spouse's wishes in terms of their assets are fulfilled. But that's, those are things that have to be thought of. That's, that's why legal help is necessary in these cases because you know people trying to do it on their own. And you talked about proactive uh, uh, situations. I mean, it's important that if someone is going to take their money and pay an attorney to help them, that attorney is an attorney. And they right. do what they need to do as a lawyer and not just sit there and, you know, help them fill out paperwork. That's not, you know, that's, that's a very minimal part of what we do, the paperwork. It's really about advising the client through the process and ensuring that they understand what their rights are, what their responsibilities are, and what could happen if they go to court and go to trial. What's going to happen? Let them know what's going to happen and be there for them through that process. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. I mean, talking right there about communication. I mean, that's that's everything in any relationship, whether it's whether it's personal or business. But to your point that, you know, having that line of communication open and you being a great resource. And thank you for that example, because I mean, estate planning obviously is a huge part of what I do and obviously folds into what you do. And there are key there are, you know, key issues there that people just I don't know if they taking for granted is the right way to describe it, but that just kind of maybe get lost in kind of the work you do. I mean, it's, it's hugely important that those things are, are, are known and are, are clear and out there. And that maybe, like you said, someone may have to revoke a trust and, and, and speak to an estate planning attorney uh, in these kind of situations. Well, and that, and that, and that's critical. It's absolutely critical. And I think that a lot of times what will happen is and I'm not saying this about all all of my, my the people that do what I do. Right. Sometimes they'll kind of step back and say, "Well, I don't do that." Right. It's not about whether you do it or not. You need to have an understanding of when it needs to be done. And you know, to me, that's the value of having a specialist because the specialist is going to have had enough experience and enough exposure to what happens here to know when they look at the forest of what's what your what resources you need to get your life going forward in the future in a, in a different marital state, because I mean, that's really what's going to happen. You're going to be in a different state of, state of uh, you'll be in, uh, beyond the divorce. You know, what, what resources do you need? Do you need a new estate plan? Do you need uh, to deal with uh, business issues? Do you need to deal with, you know, a business partners who might get drawn into your divorce because right. of the valuation? That's another complexity we right. didn't touch on. But you, you gotta, you gotta know 
all these things and have a, an overview of when the client walks in the door of what all these things are going to be involved. And, you know, you don't, you may not get into everything in the first hour of your consultation, but at least you have a handle on what's going to happen and what could happen going forward so that you can best evaluate how to help that person. Yeah. And then you just alluded to another uh, potential uh, a great point and potential hazard is if you own a business and you know, that's, you know, who we're trying to help here in some way, shape or form are small business owners. And you brought up a great point. You, you know, what if one of the, the spouses owns a business and they have a business partner? Um, can you maybe elaborate a little bit on how the dynamics of that and kind of what you do, if that, if that's, you know, obviously becomes an issue or is an issue in a case you may handle. Well, in, in business, in business issues can, can take up a whole separate podcast. But, right. <laughs> but 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 the thing about a business, I mean, I mean, a lot of times you got to look at you know who owns the business. Okay, is, is it the spouse that's in your office? Is it the other spouse? Is the spouse who owns it? Um, uh, you know, are they? Do they? Is the other spouse an employee? I mean, that happens. You know, for health insurance reasons. You know, you make sure the person's on your your payroll. Do they? Do they? Do they? Is there? Uh, an issue going on in the business that involves, you know, a new, a, 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 a someone that someone's having an affair with. I mean, these are things that come up in the context of a podcast. I mean, a, a podcast, a business, in our podcast today, uh, in a business. So that's the thing that, that you have to be mindful of, the, the, the minefields in, in a business. It's not just the numbers. It's, right. it's also the people involved. It's, it's the, you know, it's the, it's the, uh, the business partners, the employees, they may get involved in the situation because there has to be a, an understanding of what's happening with that business because you're still operating the business while this is all going on. You still got to have that business go out and make money and you can't stop everything. You got to keep going. So there has to be an understanding of business operations of your client when they walk in your door. So, yeah, no, thank you for that. That's uh that's a great point. You've been, kind of allude, or touching on this as we've been uh, talking here about, you know, benefits and things of that nature, healthcare. I mean, these are all hugely important. I guess, you know, social security is, you know, you know is a big concern amongst people. Can you maybe talk a little bit about how, how social security benefits weigh into this? Social security uh, is a derivative benefit that's governed by federal law. So we don't typically get too deep into social security. Okay. Um, you have to be married for 10 years in order to be to have the right to the benefit of your spouse's social security. And that's something you, you want to talk to a social security lawyer for more information on. But we typically, we typically make sure that those, you know, that, that the client is advised of what their options are in terms of social security and what that means. Um, you know, what Medicare means if they have Medicare, you know, if they're age and age to, to be able to get Medicare. Um, but it's not something we have is that's divided by this court. Okay. Um, that's not a, not a point we deal with too often. It, it, it is income, right? Uh, it, it is income. If the person is now retired and they could be ordered to pay support from their social security. So that's critical to know in that, in that age range. Sometimes people assume that, you know, social security is not, uh, not something that would be subject to a support order, but they could be ordered to pay spouse support from their social security to the other spouse. Yeah, it's obviously spousal support itself has 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 its own set of complexities. Maybe can you talk, talk a little bit about you know the dynamics of spousal support? Spousal support is a, a 
creature uh, of uh, English common law uh, that was that was that was originated when women could not own property. So when when you so basically it was an equitable consideration that the person, the spouse, the man coming out of the marriage in a divorce would have to pay the other spouse from their separate assets uh, income. Um, we've retained that concept even in a community property state, and that's the thing that people kind of get frustrated by, particularly if you're the higher earner spouse, because you feel like, well, not only did I pay my ex-wife, let's assume it's the man in the situation, 50% of what we own during the marriage, I'm also now paying her support even after we're divorced. It doesn't, I, I'm, it's like more than 50%. And that's a tough concept to sell to people sometimes, you know, particularly if you're the payor that you're not only giving up half of your community assets you've accumulated that you probably, you may have been the sole income source for, but now you're paying support to the other spouse. That's California law. Right. And California law does take into consideration the fact that the other spouse does in fact get, or the recipient spouse does in fact get 50% of those assets in determining how much support they will continue to get after the divorce. Um, as, as you and some of your uh, uh, viewers may, may know, um, the Tax Cut and Jobs Act uh, that was passed uh, during this uh, last this administration um, does does have an implication for spouse support, and, and uh, what was once a tax deductible payment is no longer tax deductible. And right. that used to be a um, that was at least for most of my years of practice a creative way to get people to you know agree to pay support because it was in fact an item of, uh, that they could pay to the other spouse that was deductible on their taxes. It was an incentive for it. Okay? Right. Um, it, it also created deductive, potential deductibility for attorney fees in a divorce because you were dealing with spouse support. The IRS would allow that deduction. Uh, it no longer exists. And I don't see it changing uh, because it was, you know, it has enabled uh, the IRS to collect uh, additional uh, revenue. So, because now you have that deduction gone away. California still treats it as deductible. So just, there is a distinction between federal and California on the issue of spouse support. But for most purposes, most of our tax uh, deductibility is, is gone by way of that act. Um, it, has, it has reduced the amount of the awards, however, because the amount of the awards prior to that date did consider the tax consequences of those payments in determining how much the payor was going to pay to the recipient. Right. So that's those are the, the most critical things people need to know about spouse support. Uh, and certainly there's a lot, some detailed factors the court considers beyond just who makes more money in figuring out what spouse support's appropriate. Thank you, Dan, for that. That was that's uh, a helpful piece of information. Yeah, thank you for being such a great resource. That's, you know, people may have not remembered that that was something that was, you know, changed in the tax code. And it's from a federal level, it's quite significant. Um, so thank you for, for pointing that out. As kind of we conclude, could you maybe give the viewers one or two thoughts or pieces of advice um, kind of in conclusion today? Thank you. Um, what I think the main, the main, the main advice would be, um, Make sure you think through um, what you want to do. Make sure you have a set of questions before you talk to any attorney about uh, your divorce. Do, do the research. Um, make sure once you've done your research, you pick people who 
you feel you can fit with. Um, it's, it's important to have a comfortable fit with that person. It's important that they listen to you. It's important that they understand what your concerns are. Um, and it's important that they treat you um, honestly and be honest with you. I mean, because to me, if you sell someone the idea they're going to win uh, and they get to court with a judge who, who decides they don't particularly like their position on something and has a right to make a ruling against them, um, they're not dumbfounded. It's important to have everything out there on the table. All, it's important to, to you know, your job as a lawyer and what I do is not just an advocate. It's also a counselor. Right. It's on my, my certificate from the state bar and Supreme Court of California. I'm, I'm an attorney and counselor at law. And my job is to counsel. So it's important when you sit down to meet with an attorney that they are there to counsel you and they give you the honest situation. They sell you a bill of goods just to get you to write a check to them. Uh, you're not going to be happy. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, you know, again, clearly you're, you're a tremendous resource um, to your clients and colleagues and to me. I appreciate it. It was great to have you on here today. Uh, definitely want to have you on again. Um, thank you. It was uh, time very well spent, so we appreciate you being here. Again, thank you so much, Hugh, and I look forward to seeing you again. Yep. And again, Dan, thanks again for being here today. Uh, to all the viewers, thanks for, for joining us. We'll be back next week with another podcast here at Money Talks. Again, my name is Hugh Meyer. Thanks for being with us today and uh, have a great day. And remember, Money Talks, talk to you soon. Take care.